Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. The illustrious Jabba bids you welcome. <laughs> I'm going to regret this. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And you're listening to the Church Planner Podcast. Again. The new and improved Church Planner Podcast. What are we up to now? I don't know Do why. Know what number are, are, are uh, We're in the 300s, right? Oh, yeah. We've been in 300s for like half the year. <laughs> it's pretty bad when you, when, you, when you miscalculate by the hundreds. Yeah, so we are at uh, 339. 339. What a bargain. So, hey, uh, how about that Mandalorian, huh? Uh, You had to bring that up. The worst episode ever this week. What's so funny to me is I was like, eh, it's just like all the rest. Yeah. No, it was lame, dude. Like, like, it it hurts me. It actually pains me. It's kind of like... You know, you're watching the original three because this is the fourth one out, and uh, it's kind of like uh, the Last Jedi, where you're like, oh, okay, oh, 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 you. So you, this is not the Great White Hope. Wait, there is another. You know, the Obi Wan show's coming out. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, if it's anything like this, uh, let me just say I'm canceling Disney Plus. Well, you know, I, I just made this statement to someone. You know, that's pretty much why we all have Disney Plus is the Mandalorian. Like, that's what we're paying for every month. So yeah, I can and it's see that stupid. concern. It's pretty stupid. It's no, no. See, no, I'm not going to say it. I would say all three episodes. This four. is this is a way I describe four the Mandalorian. Episodes. Wasn't it four? It's four. Yeah. Yeah. But all three of the first, to oh. me, were just dynamite. So, like, uh, I, I tell Bubba people, Fett was dynamite. Fat Boba Fett? Where? Fat Boba Fett. Where? Fat Boba Fett. 
I don't know. I've not seen this. Fat Boba Fett in episode three when all the Mandalorians show up and go to fight. And he's it's Fat Boba Fett. Fat Boba Fett. I don't remember this. Rewatch the episode and you'll be like, oh, yeah, that's Fat Boba Fett. Episode three. Is there a ton of background noise coming through? Yeah. Yeah. What are you doing? You doing the laundry? That's my wife. That's my wife. She's she's opening a package while I'm podcasting. She's a Proverbs 31 woman, that one. She right is there. a Proverbs 31 woman, and she's being productive, so I can't get upset. <laughs> Dude, I can't tell you, like, at Biola, like, that was, like, the insult. Don't tell she me. Said, she said, her comment, let me, let me just share the comment from the peanut gallery here. Her comment was literally, you guys are just talking about Boba Fett. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why I married this woman. Indeed, she understands. See, if we're talking about the Holy Spirit, she would have been tiptoeing on bare feet around here. Padded padded slippers, if you will, but it's just Boba Fett. No big deal. It's not like you guys are done. Welcome to the podcast, listener. You're probably thinking the same thing if this is your first time here. Just know the format of the show is what we call smack talk at the beginning. And uh, if you're a longtime listener, you're just still laughing that we even bother apologizing for the beginning of the show. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, so uh, sorry, not sorry. But, you know, back to that, the whole idea with the first three episodes, to me, the way I tell people is it's like when you were a kid and you had the Boba Fett action figure and you were like, "Uh, screw Star Wars, I'm just making up my own rules. And you would just, you were just like this lone crusader, like you were him. You didn't play Luke. Luke and Han were off to the side. You were playing with Boba. You were him. He was the protagonist. And everything that you would want to see is in this film. Big monsters, big big guns, you know, standoffs with intergalactic gangs that he takes on by himself, new robots. Everything you would want is in there. But then they pull this total Star Trek move, which I admit in the beginning of episode one, that goofy makeup, that blue dude that he freezes has on his total Star Trek makeup. And I was like, oh, I see what we're doing. We're going to go Star Trek with this, really? But this episode was unredeemable. It was so heavy Star Trek with these funky, weird gauze costumes and just this little peaceful village. I think think Luke was calling those guys the, uh, he was the dog people. The dog people. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and the dog people. Although they were okay. You know what they were from? They were from um, the Star Wars, uh, what was the cartoon? Was it um, the, e- no, the droids cartoon. They were the bad guys in the droids cartoon. So I kind of liked that that was a throwback to another era. That's what they keep giving us is a bit of nostalgia. Like, hey, remember this? You want to see this? We're going to show you these guys. I like that. But the dog guys weren't in it enough. You know, like there, there was just, the ATST was cool. And the way they took it out was cool. But the whole episode in general was so trite and dumb. Yeah, I've kind of thought that about the whole show. I'm not. I don't. Hey, we covered that. We covered that. I know. But what that was so funny is you called me up later in the week and you're like, I was so let down by that episode of our podcast. You're like, (laughs) you're like, I I didn't notice anything different. (laughs) I I kind of felt like uh, like Pete just. Totally stepped on my dream. You know, I had this box with hopes and dreams in it. And Pete was like, stupid. <laughs> it was not the podcast I envisioned in my head. It was so much cooler in my head when you and I were going to geek out on it. And imagine my chagrin. It wasn't. I, yeah. I'm, I just honestly, I thought episode four was 
literally the same as all the others. And I was like, okay, I feel like I'm watching Stargate again or Stargate Atlantis. It's exactly that's exactly Stargate. what it it's felt Stargate like. Stargate Atlantis right now. I mean, eh. 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 you know, eh, dude, that is such a great analysis of this last episode. Except it was I just actually so poorly like Stargate. Done. That's all I'm gonna say there. <laughs> but that's the thing. You go to Stargate expecting Stargate. I yeah. go to Star Wars not expecting Stargate or Star Trek, yeah, and that's, that's where they let me down this week. Yeah. yeah. Well, what's funny to me is the whole uh, movement out there, and you and I have had this people saying this on our Facebook pages, and they're like, well, you know, Boba Fett wasn't actually Mandalorian. Oh, and I'm like, that was so good. You seriously are like, okay, they had a movie. And everyone liked his armor because that's all you saw. You liked the yeah. armor so much that everyone kind of like built up. Oh, this is Boba Fett. You know, this is this is the guy. Yeah. And then oh, we got yeah. Django Fett. Oh, oh, we're gonna make a TV show. And by the way, they're never gonna take off their helmets. Uh, yeah. By the way, I guess Django and Boba they they weren't Mandalorian. Yeah, because we're gonna create <laughs> something totally. I mean, it's I like, don't think you're wrong on that. I think that's actually probably what Lucas did in his mind um, was he kind of, well, let me flesh it out a bit because he has full control over all that old stuff. He had to stamp it and say, yes, I approve of where the story's going. Right. Um, and somebody did. I'm, I, I don't know if it was Lucas, but Lucas apparently validated, yeah, he wasn't a Mandalorian. But that makes it cooler to me. Number well, one, that Because makes- they had to create this thing because they're like, really – People fell in love with the armor. I mean, that's really what it came yeah, down to. Yeah, absolutely. People fell in love with the armor. Well, like as with Darth Vader and Stormtroopers. Like the armor was so rad. We'd never seen anything yeah. like that. Basically, you know, what, what he did well, it's, it's was he took. It's a knight. It's a knight. That's all. It's, well, it's samurai. It's, yeah, it's samurai armor. Like he takes samurai armor that has that mask like a samurai. He, I mean, even Darth Vader's helmet is just clearly a samurai helmet, but he made it angular rather than smooth. So like there's like a demonic face on a samurai warrior. Um, whereas on Darth Vader, it's angles, it's hard angles, 90, you know, like hard, hard angles. I don't know how to have a sharp angles. And he, so he futurized a samurai mask and we all went, Oh, and then the stormtroopers, of course, they're more uh, curvy. They're more like a samurai, but they look nothing like a samurai. Okay. It's true. It's true. Dad. Check check the sources. Uh, as Trump says, you know, uh, ask anyone, they'll tell you. Ask the generals. Uh, it's the best Star Wars ever. But, um, you know, I, I literally was just so disappointed. And by the, by the way, I'm not hating on Star Trek. Um, same, same rule applies. When by I go to Star by. Trek, I expect Star Trek, right? And, I, yeah. and Star Trek's great for what it is, but it ain't no Star Wars. Let's be honest. Yeah. So. I like me some Star Trek. Yeah, I do too. You know, Star Trek has some rads, particularly the original. I never got into the second generation, but sometimes I think maybe I missed out there. You know, you know, I used to be into the original, and then when you get into the next generation, you really can't go back to the original. Interesting, <laughs> because it's it's just not as good as the yeah. next generation. Yeah, uh, uh, as far as like aesthetics. Well, yeah, I heard like Babylon better. Five is like just flipping amazing. I heard that's rad. You know, I didn't get to into a lot of Babylon Five, so I I can't I can't say on that. But I am kind of looking forward to possibly watching Picard. I don't know if it's already out yet. Oh, that's going to be good. I'm yeah. intrigued by that. Well, because it's actually just 
like the next generation, it's just, oh, hey, we're going to bring back the same characters. and But he's a rad character. Like, I did watch Next Generation when it first came out, and they had, like, Q and yeah. some of those those villains, and they were cool. I, I had a thought the other day. Was, was that guy that played Q? That wasn't Palpatine, was it? Wasn't the same no. actor? No. Okay. So, because I've seen that dude in other stuff. Yeah, um, he's been a lot but of he, stuff. Yeah, so going back to that, um, I watch it, and Picard was rad. Like, he was a neat character. Just, you know, super cool, man. Yeah. That's cool. Choo choo. Uh, no, there will be no profound thoughts while the train is passing. Those uh, double pane windows, uh, you might want to get a refund on them. <laughs> Andrea, when she leaves the house, she does this. She leaves the door wide open every time. I don't know what that's all about. And now I'm podcasting. The the, the birds are a chirping. The trains are chugging and tooting. And there's nothing I can do about it. The dog's outside barking like I'm I'm helpless. You and know? your turtle. What about your turtle? I can't find my tortoise. And I had a horrific thought during the rain that maybe she's down a hole getting drowned while she's sleeping. Because she doesn't swim. And uh, that's that's kind of freaked me out a bit, you know. And, and you uh, so I'm her? worried. I haven't been able to find her for months, and I've just what? had to let go. Let it go. Are you let serious? Either she, yeah, either she got out. My, but see, they they hide. If you know anything about desert tortoises, they hide. <laughs> they hide and they burrow. And so she she makes little hobbit holes in my yard, and she's really good. At hiding them because you know they're they're vulnerable, so they're excellent hiders, right? Um, they've watched the episode of Monty Python, How Not to Be Seen, and she she's very good at it. I'm gonna have to take your word on that one. You have to watch that, by the way, How Not to Be Seen. Yeah, I'm not a Monty Python kind of guy. Sorry. Oh, Flying Circus, you gotta you, you gotta love it. Nope, still not gonna see that one. No, no, no it's a show. It, oh, it's great. Then definitely not gonna see that. <laughs> I told you I'm not really big into accents. <laughs> well, it's a good thing Jamie's American. That's all I'm saying. I'm not asking you to kiss Monty Python. I'm just saying watch it every once in a while. No, you don't understand, man. Accents just drive me up the wall. Do they really? They do. They do. Wow. Like, okay, uh, Pete like, Mitchell. Oh, Pete Mitchell. Not a missionary. So- <laughs> everyone's like oh the english accent so great or the irish accent so great and i'm like look after about three sentences i'm like okay i just want you to shut up now stop talking uh could you uh shut up and talk american now um <laughs> we need our sound bites are they are those still gone they're gone because of ios catalina whatever you call this stupid mac update i should never have done it yeah most of my fun stuff is gone. It's gone. It's gone. The forever. deep regrets we have in life. That's one of mine, right there. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. So I am. I am like the crazy scientist. I'm like the uh, the psycho dude right now in um, uh, Beautiful Mind, where I'm making all these uh, weird diagrams and notes, and everything's got sticky tabs and colored post its, and it's looking like a mad scientist in my in my dining room right now. Okay. I'm working on this textbook, man. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, you some days I'm the tortoise. Some days I'm the hare. Most days I'm the tortoise. So um, speaking of tortoises, man. Most days I'm I the hairy like- tortoise. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a cool little animal to invent for Star Wars. Write Disney immediately. Harry tortoise. Hashtag Pete Mitchell. Copyright. <laughs> 
hairy tortoise. Yeah, well, it'd be just as good as the Mandalorian. So, heck yeah, man. Hey, did you get that picture I sent you of Baby Yoda eating Kermit? Ah, uh, was he eating Kermit? Yeah, he eats him. It's it's got that meme of Kermit drinking his tea. Oh, and all I of a sudden it shows like, his green hand come down and pluck him up, and then you see Kermit's leg sticking out of Baby Yoda's mouth. I didn't realize that's what that meant. I thought it was like I don't know. You turn Baby Kermit into Baby Yoda, so they can overplay Baby Yoda. And I think Baby Yoda is going to be cool as long as he's subtle. I, I feel they're starting to push oh Baby my Yoda gosh, too much, dude. Baby Yoda is stupid. No, he's rad if they keep him to the background. But they keep trying to make this cutesy cutesy thing. And let's be honest, like it didn't work. Like it, it, it Star Wars is not your place for cutesy cutesy. Star Wars is the place for we can have an Ewok, but you know, a moment here and there's fine, but okay, here's the thing barely. If he's fifty and this show were to go on for ten seasons, <laughs> he's never going to not be baby Yoda. There's no physical growth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's stupid. What were they thinking? Yeah, no, that that is true. We and I, I think your your major your major uh, grievances are. No, 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 you see what I did there, grievous. Um, your major grievances are that you are not going to get Boba without the helmet. Although he did take it off, which was really dumb. He didn't right after off. the speech of going, no, no, he did. When he's eating his food, it shows him put the helmet down, and you're watching him. He's sitting in front of an open window with kids and that lady playing outside. Right after he says, "I've not, I've never taken my helmet off in front of people since I was seven years old," and then he just goes and sits, and it shows from his point of view watching them play. Like there's no screen in front of that window. Like he literally just took his helmet off in front of people right after giving his speech. I don't take my helmet off. That threw me like, okay, that's just poor directing right there. Unless they're hinting, well, you know, he's getting tired of it. He's 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 tempting fate. He's he's seeing how close he can go to the edge. But and then he can never it put it dumb. back on. Come on, right? Come on. Like was so he? Stupid. Were they trying to say he was tempted? Like um, maybe tempted to be what with if you? Maybe if you look this way and knocks it off, uh, you can never that's put it different. back on. That's different. It got knocked off. See, I just checked fit. the Star Wars rule book and see that's 20, what I'm saying. They made section up these 27, rules. section 27, line 18 says. I was just reading out our our time tag there. You see, that, that was cool, huh? I have. No I should have said. I'm clearly on a different time tag than you. Yeah, yeah. Well, when I started it, it was that. This I is talk Mandalorian slow sometimes. 28, uh, 19, <laughs> chapter 28, verse 20. No, it's 28, 23, 24, 25. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where our friendship works, everybody. We're entertaining ourselves. That's obviously not amusing to you at what all. What I but, loved uh, is how you use the safe word on a Facebook post. <laughs> that was yeah, the Yeah, it's best like the name me. Peyton. Because <laughs> you're giving me crap about my girl dog being named Ricky. I, I wasn't. I hey, that's sacred, man. I didn't. Uh, Ricky and Lucy are sacred, but I did not know they were both girls. Yeah, they're both girls. Oh my gosh, I was think mind of, blown. I'm. Think I'm of like Ricky Lake. That's how we had to go with Ricky because uh, we wanted Lucy and Ricky. So we're like, ah, oh, well, there's Ricky Lake. So she's yeah, a Ricky. true. Not true. Whatever happened to her, man? Uh, who knows. She was the she was like the the white hot TV show and now you never hear of her. 
she she was for like midday TV. Like she never yeah. really broke out of the midday TV. Ricky, Ricky, do you guys do that? Do you do the chant for Ricky? Dude, Ricky's getting old. I think she can only hear out of one ear now, and uh, she's just like old, man. My dog is Aww. old. Now, uh, which one was it? Ricky that used to jump the fence? Yes, that was Ricky. Oh There's gosh, no way Ricky's jumping the fence now. I can tell Dude, you that. How high would that dog get? Well, our fence now is at least twelve feet high, so we had to go up at least twelve feet. To... If you've seen those dogs on Facebook, where you see them like do this massive running start and then like jump up these walls, and they they're like pit bulls, that's yeah. Ricky. Like she yeah. is slender, muscular, and can just freaking tear up a wall. At least could back oh, in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing her jump once. I don't know if you showed me like on video or if I was there watching it happen. No, I think you're right here. I don't think I've ever recorded it. Yeah, it, it was pretty impressive. I got to say. Dude, what's you're funny like, is we've, she has killed so many birds in our backyard. Uh, there was a squirrel one time. I caught her with the squirrel on his back, legs up, trying to fight Ricky. And Ricky has got her <laughs> nuzzle down on his chest. And she's like playing with him. And he's just like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? So Ricky does not. And Jamie used to take her out for walks. She'd take her out for a walk. And if Ricky sees another dog, she like tears off after him. The problem is Jamie's like, what, a buck, buck 10? I mean, she's like nothing. And all of a sudden, Ricky takes off. And it's like dragging Jamie down the street, you know? And um, wow. So our neighbors had a pug, a pug. And Ricky could jump the fence. So Ricky jumps the fence, goes in their backyard, and I kid you not, that pug chased Ricky out of the backyard. <laughs> and Ricky came running back over to our side. No way. She, she must have like known, okay, this one's not mine. I, I can't go after that dog. And you know, that dog was protecting its territory. That had to have been what it was. That's funny, dude. Yeah. Well, speaking of squirrels, um, should we get into our main topic? Uh, great Scott. It's time for this week's topic. <laughs> Let's get down to the nitty gritty. There you go. Huh? That's what I'm talking about. Oh, you don't need no no stinking sound bites. That's right. Or since them. you like accents, we don't need no stinking sound bites. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for changing it there at the last second because I was about ready to go redline. <laughs> Oklahoma. <laughs> Triggered. Uh, so uh, what's today's topic? So today's topic is culture, which I know like a few years ago was kind of trendy to talk about. You know, I'm reading an undue amount of books on church planning, and I just, I love the trends, man. Like like coming up right around the corner, and you and I have been talking about this for a few years, like collaborations, local networks, stuff like that. Like that's going to be the, and I've said that's going to be the future. Um, now, like it's starting to become trendy. And my, my theory is always this. I just look in the New Testament. I see what they did and what they learned. And I go, we're in that same spot right now where post-Christian is like pre-Christian. And that's what they did. That's what's gonna have. And not to be pragmatic, but that's what, that's what works. And, you know, uh, pragmatism isn't always bad, but if you're simply pragmatic, then there's a problem. But for them, it was pragmatic. It was practical. It was how they trained. I still believe that everything comes back to training as the central uh, hub of everything we do, which some people would call it discipleship, mentorship, whatever. 
But training is what Jesus spent three years primarily doing with the 12. And Paul, when he got on his game by the second missionary journey, when he realized that, oh, without training, everything sucks, um, Galatians just happens, you know? Um, I, I better... Paul starts pouring himself into training. He cottons on to what Jesus was doing. And so for me, training, or if you, if it makes you feel better to, to call it discipleship, cool, whatever. Um, <laughs> but what people call discipleship is usually, let's talk around a book and drink coffee together. That's not disciple. That's not biblical discipleship or training or mentorship. So um, as you unpack that stuff, I still think training is the glue, the mucilage that holds all this kingdom expansion together, um, or it wouldn't be so heavily prevalent in the New Testament. But um, but what I have noticed is, as I'm reading all these books in preparation for the sex book I'm working on, um, the just the 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 trends uh, within pastors. It's like if I'm writing a book ten years ago, I have to talk about culture because. Dang it, I want to be hip and modern and trendy. I got to talk about culture or context or contextualization. And so many of the writers, and this what always drives me nuts, is when you're reading 20 books on something, it's pretty easy to see the pattern of people just stealing from each other. You know, and, and, and I don't think it's a case of the Holy Spirit saying the same thing. Sometimes it's that, but. I literally am like, okay, you copied this dude and you're not, I, I know what year, I have to write down every time I reference something, what year something's from. I can see who started it, who copied it, who pirated it, who credited it, you know, but uh, like you always say, it doesn't matter. But I guess my point is a lot of stuff is said and parroted without any real insight or expertise. And that's where I think a lot of our discussion about culture and context is unhelpful. We can talk about things, but talk generally and talk in a way that's misinformed about a topic. I'm not saying I have all the answers and wait till you listen to this podcast, we're really going to answer it. But um, there's a lot of fluff. There's a lot of chaff out there on this topic. And so what I want to do today is kind of maybe reopen that topic and look, look at it um, from a different uh, different angle, if that makes sense. Sure. Cool. Let's do it. Okay. Cool. So so to, to start off, how did this become important in the church? How did how did the whole discussion of, of culture? So you're planting a church and you're like, I don't need to know about culture, right? Because I'm not, you know, it's not really biblical. They don't really talk about it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on there. Slow down there, Turbo. Yes, it does. So it's a big deal in the New Testament. For example, you go through the Gospels, culture's all over the place. Um, the Phoenician woman, um, Jesus says, hey, you're from the wrong culture. I can't I can't do a miracle among you because uh, I, I'm called to the Jews. You know, you can't give what's sacred to the dogs. And she goes, yeah, but Lord, even, even the, the dogs eat the crumbs fall from the kid's table. And Jesus marvels that she, and he says, not even in all of Israel, have I seen this kind of faith? And hardwired into the Gospels is this idea that the Gospel is going to jump cultures. It's going to go from an insular Jewish community, faith community, to a pagan, Gentile, uh, hostile world. Something that's hostile. And even Paul says, hey, the Gospel is received differently 
from Jew to Gentile, to the Jew it's a stumbling block, to the Gentile it's foolishness. So there's some cultural context for you. Paul says, I became all things to all men that I might, uh, you know, reach or, or save some. So there's this whole idea of culture. Plus the apostles, if you remember, in the very beginning, I, I was, I'll catch a breath in a second here, Pete. I'll let you talk. But then oh, no, Peter's, this, is, this is definitely going to be a, a all Peyton episode, but keep going. Please. No, it's not. It's not. Because when we get into the practical stuff, this, this will have to do with you. But, you know, then Peter has his vision about, you know, rise up, kill, and eat. And he's like, I can't. I can't go into this other culture, right? I've only known my own culture. I see these other cultures as evil, which, by the way, wake up call. That's how the church sees this whole topic. Ah, fear. No, we can't talk culture. Culture's evil. We shouldn't even, we're compromising the gospel if we even talk about it. Well, the reason it became important was because when the gospel jumps cultures, you have to contextualize it. You have to put it in a language that's understood by this new culture. So if you take like uh, the perspective on world missions course at um, U.S. Center for World Mission in Pasadena, they'll tell you, um, you will bring your culturally attached Jesus. And so what Paul had to learn to do was he had to learn how to speak to people in the synagogue uh, in, in Jewish communities, but he also had to learn to take the gospel to the marketplace and have it make sense, you know, on Mars Hill or in the marketplace. And so this has been the challenge. And in, in modern times, the, the conversation came up because missionaries like me or, you know, uh, Leslie Newbigin, who, if you really want to be hip and, and have people respect you, uh, read him and then quote him on social media because that just makes you look informed. And of course, I'm being sarcastic, but, um, again, it's one of the trends. You know, if you want to be the, the culturally elite, uh, you must quote, quote them. Um, but you know, these, these missionaries came back, um, Jim Peterson, others who wrote books and, and basically said, you know, as ex missionaries, they came back from the mission field and, and noticed their own culture. They were no longer Americans or whatever the country of origin was. And they were forced to enter back into a culture, which once was their native culture, but now they found foreign. And as you leave your culture for any great length of time and come back into it, you have a third culture experience. In other words, you re-enter the culture of origin, but you're now not of that culture. So that's why Paul was able to say to the Jews, I become as a Jew. And you're like, well, wait a second, Paul, you're, you are a Jew. And Paul goes, no, not anymore, really. I'm this third culture thing. And I'm not a Jew anymore, but I've come back into it. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, it does. So then the question became, well, how does the church, the, these missionaries started asking the question that I think every church planner needs to ask. And that is, well, when I encounter culture, what do I do? So for example, we, we plan in Long Beach, Pete. Um, you, you were there. I was there. Bunch of white people parachute dropping into a neighborhood that's 50% African American, 30% Hispanic, and 10 to 20. Uh, I mean, uh, t the last 20% was white <laughs> and Asian. And as we dropped into that, we didn't even know what we didn't know. Like, like as I started talking to people there, I'm like, huh, you know, the, I'll never forget praying, um, about Ferguson. And I felt it was a very prophetic 
prayer. And I was praying into the, the, the pain of the, of the African American community and just, I just felt this burden. It was very prophetic. And I prayed this prayer and people stood and clapped afterwards. And that was the time, if you remember, when we had about, you know, 50% of our, our congregation was African American. So it was kind of like, wow, you know, we, we were touching on something. There's a whole culture that I've not been privy to and that which might have generated uh, you know, the, the deplorable army or Fox News media, you know, vigilantes or whatever. And I'm not slamming those. I'm just saying in a white church, you might get a very different reaction from that. Um, whereas, you know, uh, like if you look at how the gospel has translated in the African American community, um, you know, African Americans would see, uh, one of the key factors of discipleship is suffering, um, and hardship. Whereas not that white people don't think about that, but it's not, it's not embedded into our cultural theology. And so when you go into a community that is predominantly African American, that's an aspect of the gospel that is open to you. If you're aware of this cultural dynamic, you're able to tap into this, this way to communicate the gospel. Um, that, you know, if you ever saw that movie Amistad, they pick up a Bible and they, they can only read the pictures. One of the missionaries pass it through the jail cell. And so these slaves start reading the Bible and they're talking and they're like, look at this. This guy, he was hated by everybody like us. Look, he's in chains. They whipped him like us. And they're looking at these pictures of the passion of Jesus and they're relating and they come to believe. Like they start crying as they're looking at these pictures of Jesus. And they believe, well, of course, as you get into, uh, keep in mind, I was, I was a missionary in Wales and the, the culture, when revival hit there, the Welsh were the marginalized and repressed and exploited peoples that basically built the wealth of the British empire at home. Obviously it was built abroad through, you know, um, imperialism and what have you, but, um, at home, Coal was king, and so the Welsh were coal miners. One of the biggest teams of coal in the world was in Wales, which helped bring the um, British Empire into being a superpower. But what people don't know is revival hit Wales in the same way that it's moved through the African-American community. And as it hit Wales, um, they sang. You know, their singing became something they did while they're down in the coal mines, making barely any money and, you know, dying left and right because they're unsafe conditions, but they would sing. So revival would hit and they would sing. And that became a cultural phenomenon. Same with the, the, um, what we would call the Negro spirituals or the old, um, you know, the gospel, old time gospel, uh, hymnody would have come out of, um, you know, this, this environment of suffering and a hardship. And of course, heaven and this life is not our home. This world is not our home. All these cultural, it really, these biblical themes come out of this cultural context. And so it, it, these are just a, a few elements, but always the culture, the, the church has grappled with the idea of what should, what role should the church play in engaging culture? Because in one sense, we know that culture can be 
world, the worldliness that the Bible warns us about, right? Like when the Bible talks about don't be conformed to the world, it's saying don't be conformed to the culture, right? So when we, when we see culture, culture can be a window to reach people, but it can also, it's a two-sided sword, two-edged sword. It can also be a danger. Uh, if we, if we imbibe the culture rather than, um, using or harnessing the culture to reach the loss with the gospel. Interesting. So, <laughs> sorry, Pete. That's about all I can say so, on this. So, so, so well done. So well done. Sir. Well done, sir. <laughs> so Mark Driscoll, he summarizes the role that churches play in culture. And he identified a, a few series you of formulas. You can't quote Driscoll. Because in I, our I church totally culture, can. he's been outcast. <laughs> well, he is the pariah nowadays, that is true. And yet, at the same time, Driscoll, man, that dude did so much for church planning. Like, we just have to pause and say, okay, the dude wasn't perfect. Um, you know, I don't even know fully what happened. I guess he was, you know, uh, the the comments are he was really proud and arrogant and this and that. Oh, okay, fair enough. Or he was harsh or maybe he was a little bit abusive. And how he, those are all the allegations. Okay, but what he wrote was true and it was helpful and dang it. Um, I'm going to quote it. <laughs> so I'm still grateful to that dude. And I'm, I'm sure despite whatever issues he had with people he led, um, I, I'm still helped by a lot of what he said. So sure. maybe, maybe one day someone will come and say, you know, uh, that Peyton guy, you know, he did this and that, but um, still helped by what he said. You know, he sure recorded one heck of a podcast. <laughs> I tell you, no one fantasy. is ever going to say that about the two of us. They are never going to say that. That now, is maybe true. Your, po- your podcast, now that you're two-timing me, maybe that one, sure. <laughs> well, no one knows about that podcast. Oh, oh you mean the uh, the Ministry Ninja podcast? The Ministry Ninja podcast. Yes, yes. And 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 yes, that's all I will say. But uh, but but here's here's what Mark Driscoll summarized. He, he put it together in some formulas. I really find this helpful. He said, gospel plus culture minus the church. So think mathematical formulas. Gospel plus culture minus church equals parachurch. Let me say that again. Gospel plus culture minus church equals parachurch. Okay, so here's another formula. Culture plus church minus gospel equals liberalism. Church plus gospel minus culture equals fundamentalism. So you got parachurch, liberalism, and fundamentalism, and each one of them is taking something out of the mix. So what he comes up with My is understanding church- is that today's podcast would have no reading comprehension test to go along with it. <laughs> so, so the one he comes up with is he says church plus gospel plus culture. You need all three. That's what it equals. Um, so uh, that is really the proper relationship that you've got to have church gospel and culture and so then once you do that you've got to ask is culture a moral force is it an immoral force or is it an amoral force and so when you look at paul right paul answers that question for us so paul on one hand he talks about culture immorally right so to to paul it's kind of like it's all the above let me just cut to the chase here. It's all the above. So um, he he brings 
to light through his epistles certain aspects of the culture that have to be put to death. Like it's like old Yeller, man. You gotta you gotta put it down, right? These these are examples of things in the culture that threaten to pollute the church and sink it. So Paul's saying you got to torpedo that. You know, you, you, there's some cultural baggage here. Obviously, temple prostitution not good, right? That's that's hardwired into the fabric of your culture. Your whole economy is built on it. Um, it's got to die. You got to stop that. So also to the Corinthians, um, their fascination with words and wisdom, right? Um, it, Paul says that the gospel comes in foolishness and weakness and f- fear and trembling, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And then Paul goes on to turn on his head and say, for God will use the foolish things. That's what God does. You guys, you know, hire these and pay this great money for wise people to, to talk. But, you know, that's not what God does. God uses guys like Moody, who goes to Oxford, and the first thing that comes out of his mouth is some people, uh, what do you say? Some people think, uh, you, 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 what was it? Some, some people think that you got to be smart to to know Jesus, but oh, how did he say? I can't remember what it was, but but he completely went up there and made like terrible gram- grammatical mistakes. You know, um, I can't remember how he said it. Dang it! Um, but he he just basically demolished that because Moody was unschooled, untrained. You know, didn't have a seminary education, came off the streets, and became this preacher that. Led thousands of people to Jesus. Same with Billy Graham. Yeah, yeah. Bill Moody was just like not off the streets in the sense that he was. He was just a. He was just a common dude, you know. And uh, so, so, um, Paul talks about you know their their preoccupation with success. They were a highly successful culture, very rich, economically astute, and. You know, so success was a big deal, kind of like our, you know, hey, Tom Vu, you know, look at my big toys, you know. And so Paul in chapter four, most of chapter four of First Corinthians is Paul going, hey, let me tell you uh, what my ministry looks like. It ain't successful, right? I, I'm shipwrecked. I'm beaten. I'm this. I'm that. I, um, I go hungry. I go naked. And he basically turns out on his head. So you find that Paul is often challenging their culture, the sexual deviancy, taking people to court right and left. He's challenging. But then Paul also, um, he starts using things out of culture at the same time. Like if he, if he finds something that is like an echo of the kingdom of God or a spiritual principle, Paul will use it. So for example, when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, he's actually quoting Plato, right? Not not Plato, that's left we played with, but you know, Plato, Socrates, <laughs> student of Socrates. So, so let me read Plato's thing. It says, "I'm very far from admitting he who contemplates existences through the medium of thought sees them only through a glass darkly, any more than so." And it's obvious Paul read a great deal of Plato. So um, Paul says, I speak because I'm convinced that I never intentionally wronged anyone. Plato says, we have wronged no man, we've corrupted no man, we've defrauded no man. And you know, Paul, depending on the translation, it's almost a word for word of what Paul says. You know, we've defrauded no one, you know. Um, uh, Paul or Plato says, 
If the finger of one of us is wounded, the entire community of bodily connection stretching to the soul for integration with the dominant part is made aware. And all of it feels pain as a whole. So when Paul says, we're all one members of members of one another, one suffers, all members suffer with it, um, you know, yada, yada, yada. So why, why would Paul not quote Plato, right? Like here he finds something in the culture and he goes, you guys already know these principles and Plato was onto something. Plato had some revelation, some natural revelation and insight. And I'm going to use this to communicate the gospel to you, to make these points. So Paul, I believe, was reading Plato possibly at the feet of Gamaliel because Gamaliel, who um, is a well-known, he uh, has sections in the Talmud, um, Gamaliel was, his son went on to become this great scholar of Greek philosophy as well as Judaism, and I think he got that from his dad. So I think Paul was was educated um, as a Jew uh, to have these kinds of conversations. So Paul uses it. It seems um, at times to make moral points, at times to, to to challenge the immorality of culture, but it seems that Paul's thing is it's immoral. Right, like it needs neither. Or, or sorry, it's amoral. It's not immoral, and that's not normal. It it just depends on how you use it. So, like we would use films that way, or songs, popular songs to 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 communicate. But but our goal in relationship to culture is a couple. There, there's a few ways that we need to look at it. So, for example, um, um, we we want to first off harness aspects of the culture. To engage the culture, so like we talked about, books, movies, films, um, conversations, and pop culture. Um, like right now, like Trump is, um, Trump is, uh, you know, at the at the height of this corruption, you know, uh, scandal, and and it's coming out all over the place that well, it seems like everybody's corrupt. Like if you watch the news, it seems like nobody's pure. And what, what I would do is I would, if I were speaking into this, um, I might take Lloyd-Jones's approach, who when Hitler was invading Europe, Lloyd-Jones, if you look at his preaching from back then, speaking to the common man, um, Lloyd-Jones would say something like, well, you know, Hitler, uh, um, he would talk about the sin nature and he'd say, you know, uh, the, the fall or sin of people means that you see something, you want it. You get it. You take it. You don't care who it hurts, who it. And he says, uh, that's what Hitler's done. That's Hitler's great crime is that, is that Hitler has seen other countries, decided he wants them and takes them by force, irregardless of, of how it affects anyone. And he goes, but don't we do that every day? Isn't that how you and I, you know, and he starts un, un, unfolding uh, the ways that we steal, the ways we lie, the way we, um, you know, we lust other or other people's waves or whatever, you know. And he he just goes to the heart, and he'll use that aspect of culture to communicate, and people connect and go, oh yeah. Lloyd Jones makes a point, you know, it's fine if you and I do it, apparently, but we get enraged and incensed when someone else does it, and so in this current uh, political climate. The way to harness the gospels, maybe to draw those connections, but aren't we all corrupt? Don't we all do and say things we don't want anyone else to find out about? <laughs> no one's talking about it. everybody's so self-righteous right now. And that's a way that the church is able to harness culture, but also to prophetically 
speak into culture by using culture. This is this is a cultural blind spot, and we can preach the gospel through it. If that makes sense. You know, this podcast reminds me of some of our book podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. It's but, story time with Peyton Jones. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I'm working on the book. I shouldn't talk about stuff I'm working on in my book. But lots of stuff's coming out. I'm not saying, don't say in my book. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yet. So I totally got to transcribe this and put it in my book. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I kind of figured that was coming. Yeah. Sorry, dude. But, you know, here's the thing, right? Like, there's certain times when we, we, we want to harness our culture. But then the other part is we want to redeem culture. So, like, think of, like, all of the holidays, right? Like, Samhain, you know? Like, we don't say to each other, hey, peace, happy Samhain, you know? We say happy Halloween, which the church took, uh, uh, redeemed and said, hey, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. There, there's a piece people say, well, it didn't really have Oregon origins. Well, it kind of did. The church has a feast, like the Catholic church had in the Orthodox church. He had a feast for, like, every day of the year, you know? He's the feast of Michael Manos. You know, we don't talk about that anymore. Um, but... You know, uh, the church harnessed it. The Protestants said, well, October 31st, Martin, Day, Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis, so we're going to talk about that. It's Reformation Day. The other church talked about All Hallows Eve, taking off pagan culture, where, you know, said to, said to enter. Um, you know, Harvest Festival began as a pagan thing, but the Jews had their version. Every religion has a version of, of uh, Harvest Festival. But you can redeem that. that. And so now we've got Thanksgiving, which... Once upon a time was uh, an aspect where we said, well, see, let's use a time, a time a year, which the culture, you know, if you're from a farming community, is like, ah, oh, so grateful I had a good crop this year. Let's thank God for that. So the church, you see where the church. Did you see that uh, meme of, of uh, uh, Michael Chessires that I reposted? You, wait, you're not taught to talk during this. What's, what's going on here? Oh. <laughs> Did it? I did it like a week ago, so I'm not even sure if I could find it. I, it I didn't like, see it. No, what was it? Man, I'm based my Facebook feed. I just want to see if I can find it. Something somebody says I'll stand you in the neck on uh, Friday. What? What are you talking about? <laughs> well, well, there's a meme going around. I no, quote it in no, the newsletter. No, this is Mike Cheshire's. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, this is a quote from him. It was something like "Happy Thanksgiving." Or as my Native American friends call it, how helping people in need can go horribly wrong. Or something like that. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, it's good. <laughs> that dude's so funny, man. Yes, it, I miss it him. Was, it was a quote from like, I don't know, 2013 <clears throat> or something. Some like early quote that I had, it showed up in my Facebook memories because I had shared it. That dude was a gifter fighter. If you guys again going back, like he's a guy that's no longer in church planning. I love how you book, said he was. He was a gifted writer. He's lost the gift. The well, gift I don't no know that he writes anymore. I, 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 I haven't seen him publish anything, but he he, uh, he could write. And his been how to knock over a seven eleven. He should publish he that thing. Wrote his books. Now that you mentioned, you know how most authors don't actually write books. When I, when I read his Facebook written? post, though. When I read his Facebook posts, is it the same? Uh, I did, did. Same, yeah. same tenor. Yeah, yeah it's the same voice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Same, same wit. Same. Uh, um, yeah, my mom loved his book. Uh, why we eat our own. Oh, that was a, a fantastic. One. 
Yeah. Yeah. My mom was so into that. Um, she, she was like, that is one of the best books I've ever read. Besides your book. <laughs> my nice. baby. Um, so uh, she didn't say that, but I had to add that. that that's how I remember my mom. But anyways, the, uh, the uh, you know, you know, it, it's interesting because at the same time, what you um, find with, with culture is we can't just redeem it. So, so there's there's parts of culture where we go, yeah, we're going to claim this for the kingdom. And that's when we take it, we transform it, and that's called redeeming. Take, take something and we make it our own, right? We, so we harness the culture to reach a loss. We, we redeem it to make it our own. own. <laughs> mine is mine. I claim this. And the, the, the third one, I think, is the real goal. And that is... is to transform culture, and, and recently I was something with somebody about, um, and this is highly controversial. But the kingdom of God is not the church. The church is the extension of the of the kingdom of God on earth. But the kingdom of God is much bigger than than the church. Um, the kingdom of God is what God is doing all around the, the world. In, within, yes, the four walls of the church, but beyond. Church, he, he is working in your city already. The kingdom of God is bigger than, than the church. He is working. He is doing things. His, his reign and his rule, like I said, are expressed chiefly through um, his uh, his church. When, G, when Jesus, it's it, it kind of like limiting like when 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 God was uh, wanting to reach Cornelius, uh, and the church was still only reaching Jews, God was out there on the front reaching Cornelius, and it was the kingdom of God at work through the Jewish synagogue, while the church in Jerusalem existed. Uh, um, Cornelius had given giving to the Jewish synagogue, and he had been wanting to connect with God and didn't know how, so he's giving a bunch of money to the synagogue. <coughs> And God goes to Peter and says, hey, you need to get over there. There's a dude there. He needs to hear about my son. That is the kingdom of God, um, which is permeating all of my society. When Jesus told the parable, this, this to me is so exciting. When Jesus tells the parable of, of um, um, the, the reign of mustard seed, right? It, it's it's the smallest of seeds. If, if on your thumb, a little, a little black speck, that's what a seed, seed looks like. Um, little black speck. It's it's in your mustard. When you see mustard, black the black specks in it. That's mustard seed. Um, little, little teeny speck in your finger. So Jesus says, although it starts the very small, so you know it starts starts with twelve or one hundred and twenty people in the upper room. He says the kingdom of God um, rose to the big, biggest tree, so big that even the birds can sit on branches. And and most scholars that say that the birds represent. Um, um, the uh, you know the the secular world right normally birds are, are not you know spiritual or whatever in the scripture so when Jesus says, says the bird on sit on the branch it's it's kind of like him saying the kingdom of God permeates all the world if you look if you look at the of the, of the church abolit the abolitionist movement right which in Britain came from the church William Wilberforce rises up um, um in America it was the American War Civil War and it was um. Uncle Tom's Cabin, which Louisa May Alcott wrote, applying the gospel, 
which awoke the conscience. So even though even though a lot of them within the white church opposed to to abolition, and and for that matter, um, you know, anti anti segregation in the civil rights, like we've got a, a bad history uh, in America about concerning the church. No doubt, no doubt not trying to minimize that at all, but. Um, but it was the church. It was Luther and Luther King, a black, a black man in Montgomery, Alabama, who brought this social change and transformed our culture. That was the church at its best in the century. Century, and he wrote to the white church from Birmingham. White said, "White ministers, where are you?" But, but you know, if, if you think about it, um, sites rights ab- abolition as these are all things that the world ha- has benefited from. And I would, I would say environmentalism, although the church has been very slow to catch up on that, when you go into the scripture and you actually do a study on what the Bible has to say about the environment, it sounds a lot more liberal than it does conservative, right? Um, there is a ton in the Bible taking care of the environment. Fern's first job was, was um, to, to have a garden. And he, then he was told to do all of creation, which theologians tell us that Christ was saying, as you fill the earth, I want you, I want you to make a whole, whole earth garden. garden. Right? right? Like, they were supposed to be kicked out and beaten. Eden was supposed to spread and cover the whole earth. And then God, then you get that data and find out that's just not possible. <laughs> that's, that's, right. That's, that's right. But, but you know, the, this whole idea that we were meant to transform the, the earth free creation like the garden was special and that was supposed to spread but but like environmentalism i believe is expression of the of the heart of god right just like um uh right. civil rights is is the heart of unity unity generation there's so many things in the world that, um you know social justice are, are these are um I like what uh, Dahadi Lewis says. He goes, uh, "Social this, that's this, that's cool." He's, he's African leader, can leader, and, and now the now the vice president of NAM over church planning. He said, "Justice, social justice exists alone, alone in place. Hell, social justice not there, met there." Goes what goes what the God ring brings back in reconciliation. If we really want to see gospel and meeting culture we start seeing seeing reconciliation happen not just social justice so so justice is just the beginning and when 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 you're hearing hearing these things sometimes being liberal we've got to step back and say what is whole culture had to tag or like what are they getting right now we're not we're not getting right there's all made, all made in the image of god and some of these things are the god of god, of god. Or the kingdom of God at work. And the reason I say that the kingdom is bigger than the church is the church may, may be were to understand some of these things. God, God has, but, but the church is at the root of this. So the, the gospel, the liberation of women, that seed is in the gospel. The way that Paul and Jesus interact with men, actually, actually uh, uh, kind of the seeds of social change. Uh, it's 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 all no, Paul knows like you know like he says if you, how get how he deals with Lehman, Lehman, he says Lehman, Lehman, he says you know you know look uh, I've got I've got I've your your slave here um, he really been really helpful to me um, um I, uh, I I'm sitting back I'm back to you I can't tell you to be him but he's a bright Christ now I think what you need, what you need to do right Paul so Paul doesn't write to uh, uh, in the in the epistles, slaves up and up and revolt. You know, you know, you're a new king, new king now. 
what he's seeing, what he's saying is, okay, the the culture hasn't changed yet, but the seeds of the gospel will permeate that, like that mustard throughout throughout culture, and the church to see at the center of it. We we should see at the center of it, but for nothing not. And so look, look, I'm not. This isn't, this isn't meant to be. Hey, liberal politics is the kingdom of God. I'm not all, all right. I don't. I don't. I don't marry my politics to religion. Um, I, I I keep it separate. And I don't think either either party uh, uh, has the money on the God. My God, I think the kingdom is not earth. Earth. I do. I do think that church church throughout hospitals, the education system, all these all these things began with the church. This is, this is our territory. This is what we did. This is how the church changed culture and brought dignity, right? To me, too, move. That should have been ours. Instead of, instead of Hollywood sparked it. That was, that was ours. Does that, does that make sense? And, and yet, your church still has that caught up. The, like, the Me Too movement is valid. It, 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 people should be, be sexually assaulted. So, in, anyways, we, we got to call it an episode. Pete, Pete sent him, hey, hey, we got up, we're up, we're up, I'm. And skin see where I'm with this, this. On a church level, level. Yeah, I hope, I hope they do. I really, I really do. <laughs> well, but, but here's the thing is, is when, when you're coming to, to enter, enter in your hood, your hood, you've got to get up, get up close. You've got to listen to conversation. Like we always say, marketing, marketing. You've got, you've got to listen to the conversation they're having. Rather, rather than reacting and bring your, your culturally to Jesus, when we plonged Long Beach, we do it into a Democrat, liberal, liberal neighborhood, and, every, and everybody is, is conservative and Republican because they came, they came from Orange County. Hey, right? I had already left, left the Republican Party. Party. <laughs> officially record. record. Well, and, I, and I, but I, too, but I had to warn them, you can't, you can't bring her here because we think, think big. We, we've got to think king. As it, how does it, and, and watch watched the Christians to try to transform. We watch, we watch them start, and we and we started to see, to see them applying the gospel, gospel that that context. And behold, behold, each day change, thoughts change, their their practice change, change. They come become liberal debts, debts, oh, right. And and interestingly enough, interestingly enough, the community we went in changed, right, right. They thought they had it all figured out. They changed the the kingdom trump, trumps. Culture, culture. We'll just we'll just leave it because that's because that's that's probably probably we we need we need to end. About it's about entering those conversation, but, but knowing it, you know nation nationwide even an even a global level to know that the church has been able able to uh, bring so change change. Um, um, it's not our not our mission, but it is an effect of the gospel being preached. And received, bring the bring the culture gospel gospel into your culture and culture in your community. Start start to see community trying transform the gospel. And there's and there's plenty of statistics and on that on that which we don't have time for. So um um that let me so let me ask you, man while, man while I'm reading to the to the culture um how do I handle all my bookkeeping and payroll payroll everything 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 else church church. Well, well, Pete. Glad, glad you mentioned that. Was was while you're listening, listening to the court and and your, uh, seeing it, seeing it, reading it, aiming it, and trying it transform. You don't have to do time to do your own or or paid or or IRS clients or even staff staffing and uh, you'd be personal be personal needs and needs. So you to some put a simplified your com com. Wait, say that say that again. 
Simplifycourse.com, Pete. He'll take care of all needs for you, needs for you while you work, work on redeem, redeem, redeeming, and transforming your culture. I like some at Simplifycourse.com. I'll remember remember that one. And while you're at it, head on head on over to YouTube, YouTube and out out this week's, week's plan, church planning any money you do do that is on ministry, ministry ninja YouTube channel. And you got you got initial you so you want to throw sta- staple onto this ch- this chicken? No, I would I would never do <laughs> that. I would never yeah, like yeah. ruin pod- podcast censorship <laughs> and ruin and ruin in my personal <laughs> personal stuff. No, rad, rad, man. You know, I'm, you know, I'm shameless. I'm, I'm, uh, Check out the concealment, concealment podcast in the, in the contractor's <laughs> been pod, been podcast. Uh, the, uh, auto and podcast. podcast. I don't, I don't, I don't, I had to do with that one. Do with that one. No. Uh, oh, you don't anymore? Anymore? I did that. That's Jim. Do the, you, do the detail circle. circle. Uh, I, I sell oh, the, oh. he does the podcast. Oh, oh, okay. All right. All right. All right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. Cool. Hey, hey, guys, join us, join us today. The planner, 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 pastor, remaster, reminding you, if you each one, each one's no jing, jing, you need to, nobody's, nobody's going, do, do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Thank you.